Welcome to Ikoyi Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning into our podcast services. Listen and be blessed. We have been looking at the five purposes of the church, one after the other, and by now all of us should be able to state the five purposes of the church without looking at your workbook. Abby, without looking at your workbook, we should be able to state all the five purposes of the church. But let me give one of our children that is bold enough, and I know many of you are bold. Any of our children, you want to come and recite the five purposes of the church you have been considering without looking at your bulletin or workbook now? Children, anyone? Anyone that is bold enough, please, let me see your hand. Okay, please come, please come. Evangelism, ministry, discipleship, discipleship, I mean. Worship, fellowship. Can we clap for her? Please come and take a gift. Let's clap for her. I'm sure some of our adults here, you can't do that. Uh, Okay, I won't call any adult today. We have been able to look at evangelism, purpose-driven evangelism. And when we talk about evangelism, we are talking about the unchurch, people in the community, that we need to reach out to them. When we talk about worship, what are we talking about? The crowd. When we talk about fellowship, what are we talking about? Congregation. And then, when we talk about discipleship, what are we talking about? The committed And then when we talk about ministry, what are we talking about? The core. The core. So we have spent the last two Sundays looking at the purpose-driven evangelism. Today we begin to look at purpose-driven worship. Attracting a crowd to worship. Attracting a crowd to worship. And I want us to open our Bible to the book of John chapter 4. As I call Mufaramadi to come and read for us. Please come forward. John chapter 4, verses 21 to 24. Turn to John chapter 4, verses 21 to 24. Good morning, church. The scripture will be taken from John 4, 21 to 24. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for the salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is when the true worship. worship When the true worshipers will worship the Father, in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Thank you. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thank you. Please come. Take your own gifts too. Hallelujah. 
I'm sure you are familiar with this passage that we have read, John chapter 4, about the encounter of that Samaritan woman with Jesus Christ. Now, worship is so important for us to consider because all the other five purposes we have been talking about, in one way or the other, they have to do with what we do towards other people. When you talk about evangelism, who do you evangelize? The unsaved. So the direction goes this way, Abby. Other people. When you talk about fellowship, fellowship with who? With brethren. I know some people will go to the essence and say, okay, we also have fellowship with God. Yes. Brethren. But actually, the concern in purpose driven church is fellowship within brethren. When it comes to discipleship, who are you discipling? Huh? You are discipling other people, those who have been saved, those who are already in the fold, you are discipling them. When it comes to ministry, ministry to who? To other people. And of course, some people may say, okay, we also, we also minister to God in that way. Okay. But when it comes to worship, it's exclusively to who? To God. So it has to do with our relationship between us and God. So God is the focus, the absolute focus when it comes to worship. If you join me in, on page 30 of our workbook, page 30, when it talks about attracting a crowd to worship, we want to begin to look at how to design a seeker-sensitive service or seeker-sensitive services. And as time goes by, today and beyond today, we'll be continue to understand what we mean by seeker-sensitive services. Mind you, it's not seeker-driven services, but seeker-sensitive services. That those who are not yet part of us, that we are sensitive when they come around to worship with us like this in the crowd. But I want to call attention to what is said about the crowd here. One thing we can establish from the passage that we have read and all the passages we have here, Matthew chapter 4 verse 25, is that Jesus was actually a crowd puller. The Bible says enormous crowds. Some other translation will say multitude followed him wherever he went. That's Matthew chapter 9 verse 36. He said, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. And then the large crowd listened to him with delight. In fact, there was a particular time when he was ministering somewhere that the crowd was so enormous that someone that needed to be touched, that be healed by Jesus Christ, they couldn't enter through the door. How did they get into Jesus? They had to lower him from the roof. Now, what is God calling our attention to? Facts about crowds. Jesus' ministry attracted enormous crowds. So it, may, it is not a sin to have a crowd. Is it a sin? It is not a sin. When people gather together like this and they want to hear from the Lord. I know some people have talked about some churches. Okay, ah, the reason why people are going there is because they are not actually speaking the truth to them. That may not be 100% correct. It may be because there is something that they are getting in that place that they cannot get in other places. So, 
God wants his house full. How many of us believe that? That God wants to go back to church full. That when we come on together on Sunday like this, as everywhere is filled up here, even in the gallery, everywhere will be filled up. Filled up. So if you look at Luke chapter 14, verse 23, that's actually what the Bible is talking about, the parable of the great banquet. A certain man had invited people. He thrown out the invitation that people should come for the banquet. But on the day of that banquet, that particular banquet, they started giving reasons, excuses. They started sending apologies. One said, I just, if you look at the passage, say, I just, I, I just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. The other one said, I just got married. On the day, you have been given notice. But where are we going? Eventually, verse 23, said, go out to the road and country and compel people to come in so that my house will be what? Will be full. My house will be filled up. God wants his house to be filled up. And I'm trusting God that the Kohi Baptist Church will be filled up with people that will come to encounter Jesus Christ. No church grows without visitors. And let me tell you, a church that is closed to new people coming in freely to join us will soon become a court. A church that is closed or a fellowship that is closed to new people coming in freely will soon become what? A court. If the Baptist is going to grow, we need to be open to visitors. First time guests. On the 27th of March, what is going to happen in the Kohi Baptist Church? There will be Tehillah night. I am trusting God that that night, the whole of this gallery will be filled up. Everywhere will be filled up. In fact, if you come late that day, you may not find a place to sit down. Why? We are trusting God that God will bring visitors, guests that will actually come and experience God through worship. But mind you, a crowd is not a church. A crowd is not a church. The truth is that people are looking for solutions everywhere. People are looking for places where their problems will be solved. People are looking for places where there will be answers to their questions. People are looking for places whereby somebody will listen to them. And that's why we always have a crowd. But a, a crowd is not a church. But a, a crowd can be turned into what? Into a church. If you have a strategy. And that's why we're here today. We need to begin to develop strategy whereby the crowd that will come here every Sunday, the crowd that will come when we have seeker-sensitive worship services can be turned into Christ. Now, before we go run through the 12 convictions about worship as we have there, I just felt in my spirit that we need to understand that word, worship. Because worship means different things to different people. Uh, by the grace of God, a book that God gave me an opportunity to write about six years ago and I published, I wrote 10 wrong reasons or 10 wrong assumptions people have about worship. But I want to call our attention to just three today. The first wrong assumption that people have about worship is that worship is a mood. Worship is what? A mood. A particular mood. That when you say you are worshiping, what is it? Just be like this. You don't shout. It's a mood. Or a disposition whereby you, you kneel down. 
Those things may reflect what takes place in worship, but that is not enough to divine what worship is. Because I want to call attention to the fact that Habakkuk 2.20, the Holy Spirit that inspired Habakkuk 2.20 is the same Holy Spirit that inspired Psalm 100 verse 1. What does Habakkuk 22.20 says? The Lord is in his holy temple. Let the whole earth be what? Silence before him. Psalm 100 verse 1 says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Is God contradicting himself? But there is contest for everything. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 20, if you read it clearly from verse 1, it has to do with after some time, God has been speaking to his servants. God has been speaking, he said, from Samuel, listen to me. And after speaking to him, he said, wow, the Lord is in the Holy Temple. I can sense God's presence here. But Psalm 100 verse 1 is about call to worship at the beginning of the service. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. So, you can't divine worship by saying it's just a particular mood. Number two, worship is not, some people, they, they say worship is an event or a program. That worship is just a Sunday morning program. George Banner, one of the persons that God has used to do a lot of research in church growth, he said, for most people, church both describes a place and a Sunday morning activity. Most people understand worship to be an event. I am going to church. I am going to church because they see the church as what? This physical structure, an event or a program that we go to attend. But if you look at the passage that Mufaramade read for us, John chapter 4, that understanding has been shifted because the Samaritan one was thinking about, okay, he said, Jesus told her that you Samaritans, you said, where you have to worship is on this mountain or you have to go to Jerusalem. And he said, a time is coming. And later on, he said, that time has come. When true worshippers, they don't have to go to Jerusalem or they don't have to climb a particular mountain. All they need to do is that they do what? They worship the Father in spirit and in truth. So worship is more than an event or a program. The third one, another wrong assumption. And the last one I want to talk about this morning is that worship is music. How many of us have heard that before? To some people, when they say worship is what? Music. Music, no doubt, communicates our values, our anchors, and anchors our feelings and our expression, the expression of our art. But music is not worship. Music can be an expression of worship. Because somebody can be, may be singing and may not be worshiping God. How many of us agree with me? Some may be singing and not worshiping God. You are not a worshiper because you are singing. There is something deeper than that, that God is calling our attention to. And by the way, the Bible is replete of great worship encounter that music was not mentioned. In the Garden of Eden, did they sing any chorus? Did they play any instruments? When God appeared to Moses eh, at the burning bush, was there any song recorded? Did he worship God? So, when we talk about worship, we are not just saying it is music. And we need to get this understanding. So, then what is worship? If you look at page 
30, where we are. Saddleback Baptist Church, I mean Saddleback Church, they actually gave a definition of worship there. Say, so worship is expressing our love to who? To God, for who he is, what he said, and what he's doing. Expressing our love to God. Now, we can express that love to God through music. We can express that love to God by bowing down. We can express that love to God by raising our hands. We can even express that word to God by prostrating. As the Greek word for worship, proskuneo, to prostrate. We can express our love to God in different ways. But my own definition of worship is actually taken from Romans chapter 12 verse 1. Romans 12 verse 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and what? And proper worship. But if, if, you, if you read it from message translations, it says, so here is what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life. And place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Did you get the message from this, from this particular translation? Take your everyday life, your everyday ordinary life. It means worship is beyond what I organize myself to do. It's a day-to-day thing. I don't only worship God on Sunday and say, okay, God, see you next Sunday. It's my everyday life. Take your everyday life. It means when I'm eating, I must be doing what? When I'm sleeping, I must be doing what? When I'm going to work, I must be doing what? When I'm walking around life, I must be doing what? Say, I should take my everyday ordinary life and place it before God. And I came up with this definition of worship. Worship is total surrender and sincere hunger for God, demonstrated by the lifestyle of a believer. Total surrender and sincere hunger for God. Demonstrated by the lifestyle of a believer. So it means, if I'm a worshiper, it's not just because I've come to church. Worship is part of me. Worship is actually my life. It has become my lifestyle. May the Lord God Almighty help us in Jesus' name. That worship will actually be a lifestyle for us. Like it was in the early church. In the early church, there was no dichotomy between the time they gathered together, maybe on Sunday or Monday or whatever they gathered, and every other day. It was part of their daily life. And that's what God is calling our attention to. So based on this understanding, we want to look at 12 convictions about worship. And the first one is that only believer can truly worship God. Only believer can truly worship God. The direction of worship, as I indicated the other time, is between the believer and God that he worships. An unbeliever cannot truly worship God. Why? Look at that passage that we have read. John chapter 4, verse 22. Verse 24. 
God is what? Is spirit. And they that worship must worship him in the spirit and in truth. If you are not in the spirit, you cannot worship God. The first issue that God addressed when he gave the Ten Commandments is about worship. I hope you know that. Exodus chapter 20 from verse 3. See, the first thing he said, don't have any other God apart from me. In fact, don't bow down to any other image. Don't worship them. Because he knew that it's only his people that is calling to worship. Number two, you don't need a building to worship God. You don't need a building. That Acts chapter 17 verse 24 said, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands or by human hands. At other translation we say, Many churches today are obsessed with the edifice, the complex. See, let me tell you, building is for our own comfort. Building is for us to be able to comfortably worship God in an environment whereby rain will not be falling upon us. And then we can hear God. But it's not one of the requirements to make our worship to be authentic. Do you agree with me? Building does not make our, our, our worship to be authentic at all, at all. What makes our worship to be authentic is that we are actually connected to God, either individually or collectively. The next conviction about worship, there is no correct style of worship. There is no correct style of worship. The style of worship that you feel comfortable with, let me tell you most of the time, is what you have experienced from your background or what you have been exposed to for many years. The only thing that is a must in this passage, I want to call our attention to it. There is no style of worship that is a must. Everybody must follow this style. What is the must from the passage that we have read? John chapter 4. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. That is the only must. Whatever style that we want to use in worship, must be by the Spirit of God and by the truth. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. That's, those are the two requirements that Jesus gave from this passage. So, why do you need to say this? If you are not familiar with a particular style, in fact, this morning, you know when we started praise worship, and we are clapping, you know some people are not familiar with that style. But for some people, wow, that's the style I like. There is no a particular correct style. But thank God that the word of God is so robust. Colossians chapter 3 verse 16 has given us a robust background. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another and as you sing psalms, hymns, and what? Spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart. Unto who? Unto the Lord. Whatever we want to do, must be in spirit and in truth. That calls for openness for every one of us. Particularly when we are talking about the crowd here. There are people that we are bringing in that are coming to worship with us on Sundays like this. That they are not really particular about a particular, a particular style. But we must be open to the Holy Spirit. And we must be sensitive to other people that are coming to worship. They may not be used to the particular style that we are used to. But when we are in the context of the crowd, worshiping God together, we must be open to the Spirit of God to guide us. 
As long as what we are, whatever we are doing is in spirit and in truth, we must be open to the Holy Spirit. And the Lord will help us in Jesus' name. Unbelievers can watch believers worship. Unbelievers can watch believers worship. They can watch believers worship because, you know, we said only said believers can truly worship God. But when they come to watch, watch us worship, unbelievers can observe how we love God, how we serve him, how we kneel before God in prayer, how we lift our hands, and they may come and say, wow, this is the place I want to be. There's joy everywhere here. They can watch believers worship. Because worship can be a witness to them. Worship is a powerful witness to unbelievers. If God's presence is felt and the message is what? Understandable. You know one thing that distinguished the worship in, I mean, Acts chapter 2. <laughs> on the day of Pentecost, the presence of God. And we are trusting God that his presence will fill the Baptist Church. God's presence was so evident on that day that the disciples, as they were worshipping God, the crowd were attracted to them without microphone, without loudspeaker, without live streaming, without any other one, without keyboard, without piano. The presence of God was so real that people started coming. People started coming. Let me ask you, if Jesus were to visit the Goyi Baptist Church today, as we are ending the service, just say, I am Jesus, and he appears, and I'm coming back next Sunday. How do you think this place will look like? Everywhere will be jam-packed. In fact, you that you are sitting here, some people have come to, to stay here since Saturday. Because of the presence of Jesus. And I believe that Jesus is here with us. And his presence will continue to draw crowds into Goyi Baptist Church. See, they felt God's presence. That's one thing. Acts chapter 2, verse 6. They felt God's presence. The presence of God was so evident that nobody could cover it. Nobody could deny it. That's the first thing. And secondly, what is God drawing our attention to? Apart from God's presence being felt in the congregation, the Bible said they understood the message. They heard. People that, that were from other places, they heard them speaking their own language. How does that apply to us today? You see, when by the grace of God, we begin to minister and God's presence is felt, and we begin to be sensitive to other people, and we begin to communicate to them in a language that they will understand, then they will be attracted to come and join us. You know, there's a language for the children. Do you agree with me? Do you know there's a language for the teenagers? If you want to minister to teenagers and you don't understand their language, you cannot succeed. If you want to minister to children and you don't understand their language, there's no, you cannot succeed. There's a language for youth. Am I saying the true youth? There's a language of the retirees. There's a language of the newly married. And God is calling attention to something. Even in our fellowship, men, women, youth fellowship, we must be seeker sensitive. If we say we have WMS meeting, and all you are talking about there, those who are just gotten married, they cannot connect with it. They will not come back. But when they come, and you are talking about what a wife that, is just, that just got married should be doing, they will go and invite other people and they will come. 
But when you are talking about things that are not connecting with them, they will not come back. The same thing with MMU. The same thing with the Youth Fellowship. There's a language of older women. There's a language of younger women. In fact, there's a language of businessmen and women. We must be able to connect with them. And the Lord God Almighty will help us in Jesus' name. God expects, that's number six, God expects us to be sensitive to the fears, hang-ups, and needs of unbelievers when they are present in our worship services. We must be willing to adjust our worship practices when unbelievers are present. When you have a guest in your house, let me ask you, when you have a guest in your house, how do you treat the guest? Specially. Not because you are trying to be hypocritical, but because you must treat that guest specially. You will give that guest a special place to sit, maybe a, a special plate to drink from. Not because you are trying to be hypocritical, but you must respect the guest. And I wish that we can also respect those who have visitors coming to worship with us. That we don't throw them away. Today, we are not going more into the application. But one of the ways that we throw visitors away is that when they say greet those who have visitors coming for the first time, you know, some, some of us are very reluctant. We look at them like this. How would the person feel? When they say, let's greet one another, you know, you will leave the person that is sitting close to you. The person you have been talking, you just, you leave that seat and go to that person. Good morning. And someone that's very close to you will say, ah, I'm not welcome here. Has it happened to anybody before like that? We must be seeker sensitive. A worship service does not have to be shallow to be seeker sensitive. The message doesn't have to be compromised. But what? Just understandable. It doesn't mean that we are changing our theology. It doesn't mean that we are, ch we are changing the biblical standard. We are only trying to change the methodology. We are trying to change the environment. In the style of our music, the Bible translations that we use, in how we greet visitors, and so on and so forth. Number eight, the needs of believers and unbelievers often what? Overlap. They are very different in some areas, but are very similar in many areas. See, the fact that you're a Christian doesn't mean that you stop having needs. Do you agree with me? Seeker sensitive services, we have to focus on common need. And what is the common need that most of the people have? We need salvation. We need Jesus Christ. People need comfort. People need restoration. People need healing. So, our needs even overlap. The fact that we are Christian doesn't mean that we don't suffer some of the things that people suffer in the world again. It's just that we know that God is with us and God will not leave us alone. Number nine, it is best to specialize your services according to their purpose. We need to specialize services. When it comes to evangelism, we talk about seeker-centered services like this, but also when we have small group discussions, we have edification. And most of the things we do, I know sometimes people come to midweek service on Wednesday and we say, Pastor, this thing you are telling us here, we wish that you say it on Sunday. Have you heard it before like that? But you know, most people come for midweek service on Sunday. Yes, we have guests once in a while, but they are actually people that have been part of the church. So, number 10, a service geared towards seekers, seek Towards seekers is meant to supplement personal evangelism. Doesn't replace it. Doesn't mean that when we have a seeker sensitive, then we, we don't do evangelism again. 
we are still supposed to evangelize personally. Number 11, I'm running because of time. There is no standard way to design a seeker service. What really attracts large numbers of church to a church is changed lives. Changed lives. People want to go to where hearts are healed. People want to go to where hope will be restored to them. And it takes love to the people. It takes the way we present the word of God in a simple, interesting, and understandable way for them to be attracted. It takes the way we relate the word of God to their day-to-day life, their personal life. When they come, when we come either for our fellowship, MMU, WMU, youth, or general worship, they want to come back again because they can see through application of the word of God that we are preaching in their lives. And lastly, it takes unselfish, mature believers to offer a seeker-sensitive service. There's always this tension in the church today about service and service. Service and service. Service means we are here. We are the one paying the tithes. We are the one giving the offering, so we must be considered first. But God wants us to look beyond that. He wants us to see people that are out there that need to be brought in. And God Almighty will help us as we did that in Jesus' name. We must make the needs of unbelievers priority when we come for worship like this. The Lord God Almighty will help us in Jesus' name. We hope you were blessed. Ikoi Baptist Church is a Bible-believing church located at 5-7 to Latif Jackanu Road in Ikoi of Lagos State, Nigeria. You can find us on Facebook at Ikoi Baptist Church or reach the church directly via phone at 0163-20485 and 0163-20486. For more information, please visit the church website at www.ikoibaptistchurch.org.